0: Now, as Corey said, we're beginning a new series in our evening worship, uh, going through fairly rapidly uh, before uh, the end of the year, uh, the book of James. So we're mainly taking a chapter at a time. So it is an overview, but uh, tonight we're we're looking at the first chapter. We're splitting that into two. And this will also be the the source for the brief questions Uh, or maybe brief answers uh, that are shared identity at our young people's meeting. So uh, I'm not sure if there's... Are there any identity leaders here tonight? Hands up. Oh, they are. They've come back from their wanderings. That's good. So we do have some identity leaders, so that's good. And uh, the questions are at the back if you're looking for them for uh, later on. Uh, So there will be some questions for the young people, uh, maybe more practical based on uh, the study this evening. So James chapter 1 verses 1 to 12. A great book of the Bible and a very practical book. Now, around Edinburgh at the festival, you notice more and more, every year, I think, there's more and more comedians. There's more and more comedy shows. It seems to be the, the avant-garde, popular kind of uh, entertainment that, that goes uh, with the festival these days. And some of the humour is... I'm sure, not that I get to go to any of it, but uh, there's different kinds of humour, isn't there? But I've always found uh, any uh, comedian worth his salt is usually an observational comedian, someone who's observing life, who's seeing ordinary things, things that that we see every day and that actually are quite funny and makes them quite funny, just observing life and uh, uh, focusing on that as the 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 means of, of getting a laugh and, and, and exposing some humor. And if you can look at the book of James in, the, in, a, in a similar way, it's, an, it's observational truth that we have in James. So we don't have a deep doctrinal uh, treatise in James. What we've got is James looking at, uh, by the Holy Spirit and by God's grace, he's looking at uh, truth and he's looking at Christians and he's saying, this is how you should live. He's observing what they're doing or not doing and saying, look, uh, this is the kind of life that you should... Look. It's actually very linked in with what we, said, what we were talking about this morning from Exodus, about the priesthood of all believers and the importance of living out, being a holy people. And James is very much about that. It is observational wisdom from God. Um, it's faith in action. So he's looking at... So we don't have uh, any kind of... Um, introduction that gives us the, the theology of the cross. He, in many ways, James is presuming all of that knowledge, and so are we, in, in in many ways also, that that he's coming to a people who are gods, they're Christians, they're believers, and he's saying, right, this is this is how it should be. This is how you should be living out the priesthood of all believers. This is how you should be following. Uh, jesus christ in practical ways it's very much about faith in action and if if you were to if there was to be maybe a a key verse that sums up the whole of james uh, as a letter it would uh, be james uh, chapter 1 and verse 22 but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves so that's really the key he's saying you have the word you you know jesus christ you love him now go out and live that knowledge live the newness live the the new life that you you're you were dead you've been brought to life uh, you were lost you're found you were once not a people now you are a people now live it live out that and so there's a great practical application but what we must realize as we look at james is that this is not a spiritual self-help manual He isn't saying, this is how you should live, now get on with it, Um, because uh, as a guilt-inducing kind of way of life, uh, this is how you must live, and he has a whole lot of boxes that you need to tick, and if you live that way, then you'll be doing fine. That would be a council of despair, wouldn't it? Anything that would ask us to live morally or live ethically or please God in our own strength by simply... Uh, outwardly ticking certain boxes uh, in our behavior would be a counsel for despair because we can't do it, can we? And if you look at James and think, this is how I have to live, you'll hate it because it, it would be for you a counsel of despair. Because what James is reminding us is that in order to live this way, we need to rely on God and we need to recognize that the Christian life is a life of miracle as we rely on him it's a it's recognizing that we need his grace in other words it's not a self-help manual it is a grace sat nav if i could use that illustration it's a sat nav that points us towards grace because without grace we can't live the christian life if i was to take another (laughs) key verse which sums up the book it would be in james chapter 4 and uh, in verse 6 but he gives more grace. It's the giving God that we saw this morning, that we were speaking about. He gives more grace. God is opposed to the humble, but uh, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So it's a book that says, this is how we live our Christian lives. You can't live this way your Christian life on your own. You need grace. So it's kind of pointing us back always to the living God. And uh, reminding us that in order to be new creations to live out this life, uh, we need grace uh, and we need God. And that's what we'll speak about briefly this evening. James uh, is reputed to have been the brother of Jesus and uh, very much a leader in the church. Acts 15 speaks about him uh, as taking this lead role in the church. He was often called James the Just because he was a righteous man. And because he loved the law. He was a a, a real, uh, in many ways, an Old Testament Jew who loved the law, but who also loved grace. And he could just see this law of love, this law of loving God and loving his neighbor, as we saw this morning. And he wanted the people to live it. That's what he wanted, James the Just. He, he wanted people uh, and believers... Uh, and the Christians throughout uh, uh, the whole dispersion. He wanted them to take grace out of the church. And he wanted to take grace out of only their brain. Well, it must be there also. And from theory. And he wanted to take grace and them to take grace into their lives. So he wanted to move it Uh, from merely being a discussion topic in the church to being the driving force of their lives, that grace is what motivated them. And so we come to this first section which speaks about the the testing of your faith or the trials of life. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So Ivan, and he explains uh, how we can... Make use of the trials of life to display grace. It's a great little section. Now, I've entitled this section The Commute of Life. Okay? Now, I've done that very deliberately. I decided not to use the word journey, the journey of life, because that's quite a positive and quite an exciting concept, the journey of life. Well, you're on a journey, and journeys are exciting, because we're going somewhere, and because... Uh, it's usually somewhere good uh, on the journeys of life. Well, at least for me, it has that connotation. Whereas commute has a much more negative connotation uh, because um, it's more, it, it, it relates more to the daily grind, doesn't it? The daily grind of living. The, there's, for me, anyway, there's negative connotations about the idea of commuting every day, the delays, the tiredness, uh, the time that it takes. The, the disturbance that it brings into your day, the people that you 've got to sit beside on your commute, and the, all the hassles that goes with it and that is really what James is speaking about here he 's not speaking about the glamorous journeys of life that we all go on or that we dream of and that we hope for he 's speaking about the daily commute of our Christian lives, the grind. The trials of life so he says count it all joy my brothers my brothers and sisters it's a generic term when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or steadfastness and james is speaking to this people and saying how we respond as believers to the commute of life, to the daily grind, to the trials of life. Now, some people have taken the trials that he speaks of here as severe times of persecution. There doesn't seem to be any uh, evidence for that exclusively, but rather that he's just talking about, uh, yes, persecution, because that was part of of the life of the believer and, and always is, but just the general trials that you will wake up tomorrow with that we've woken up today with the general trials of living life Uh, poverty and riches he goes on to speak about poverty and riches and he says that in many ways at either extreme those who are rich and those who are poor face different albeit but they do face trials of life Um, It may be illness, it may be loss, it may be the challenges of who you work beside, it may be the challenges of a career or a study or relationships or temptation, inner battles, outward battles, the trials of life. You've all got them. We all share them. We all have these trials of life. And when we face and when we come up to and when we wake up tomorrow with these trials and facing these trials, the temptation for us, I guess usually is to escape them we don't really we're not really that keen on facing up to the trials of life we would rather in, have pleasure to replace the trials of life and we would rather indulge ourselves than recognize the significance that we uh, uh, deal with these trials in a positive way or we can just entrench ourselves. Very often as Christians we do that. We just entrench ourselves. We say, Well, this is just life as it is. And we'll just hang in there until heaven. And we'll just survive and thole the trials. It's a great word, isn't it? But all the young people haven't heard that word. It's a good old-fashioned word, thole. We thole the trials. We just, we just survive them no more. And we think ordin- this is, ordinariness is a curse. So that we're living in a society that tells us, you don't need trials, just go away. Enjoy yourself, buy yourself out of them. Ordinariness is dull. Get rid of that life's commute. Why should you live such a dull and trial-filled life? Look for adventure, look for pleasure, fulfill that enormous bucket list that you have, and do all the wonderful things that you want to do in life. Now, I'm not saying that's not right and that we can't uh, indeed enjoy these things, but not at the exclusion of dealing with the ordinariness of the trials of life. We are in such a danger sometimes of wishing our lives away because we don't like the trial section and we just want the pleasure section. And so often many people's goals is to limit Any kind of trial, any kind of difficulty, any kind of challenge or opposition, whether it be from people or from jobs or from health or whatever it might be. But what does James tell us is the Christian goal in the commute of life, in the trials of life that you will face tomorrow, how are you to react to them? How am I to respond to them? How are we to deal with the trials of life when they come? Well, James recognizes and says that the Christian goal when we face trials in life is to allow them to make us mature and perfect Christians. That is complete, not perfect as in sinless, but perfect as in complete mature. So he has a different, and God has a different view of the trials of life that you will face and that I face tomorrow, is that in order to be fulfilled as a Christian, to be transformed as a Christian, to be Christ-like as a Christian, to be faithful as a Christian, we need to face and deal with these trials in a spiritual way and recognize that they are for our benefit, to mature us and to make us complete. And that sanctification, that holiness that we get, doesn't come from a bucket. It doesn't come from a bucket list. It comes in the ordinariness of life, dealing with these trials, whatever they might be, and you and I will all face different trials, um, it comes from dealing with them spiritually and taking them to God in our lives. So, in the commute of life, God is saying to us that the trials we face, don't run away from them, don't look for extra ones, there's plenty as there is, but when we face them every day, which we do, then recognize that they are used by God as we allow him to do so to make us mature as Christians. How can this happen? How is it possible that we can come to that place of finding joy in the trials of life and becoming mature and complete? How can we do that? It's a counsel for despair, isn't it? It's impossible This is speaking about someone on a different plane to me that can go through these difficulties and be joyful and be uh, growing through them. Well, isn't that what James is about? It's highlighting the impossibility to drive us back to God and to ask. That's what we're to do when we realize that we struggle with this whole concept. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, that is wisdom to respond in the right way to the trials of life, he says, let him ask of God. So, right away, there's a presumption of a relationship. See, he hasn't gone through the whole theological invitation to come to Christ. He's presuming it here that as believers, there is a relationship. And you as a Christian, I I as a Christian need to recognize that presumption that god expects us to ask of him he expects us to be in relationship he expects us to look at his demands of grace and say god i I can't do this i can't live this life i i I need your wisdom i need your grace if we don't do that what will james become it will become a book of legislation and a book of judgment and a council of despair for us we can ask of God because God takes our lives and he knows us and he loves us and he transforms our experience. Now I'm going to use, and I know I'm not supposed to use football illustrations, but it's all I know. Okay. It's all I know. I don't have Angie, They're shaking their heads at the back, all the intellects, but that's what happens. So there's two great coaches around just now in the world. Uh, well, I'm sure there's many more, but two of them, and they were Playing in different games this week guardiola and uh, brendan Rodgers. now they're good coaches and what what's great about these coaches is that they take players who are good but who maybe have gone off the boil and they can make them play their best because they're good coaches and because they understand them and because they've built a relationship with these players and what do they do to these really great players do they do they say to them hey you're a great Just take it easy. You don't need to train today. Yeah, head away and have a McDonald's after uh, the end of the day and and stay up late. And yeah, if you want to gamble a bit of your time, that's fine and a bit of your money. No, they don't. They don't spoil them. They take take them and they say, look, when you're tested on the field, you show yourself to be the best player by working hard and by training hard. And uh, they push them as well as relating to them. They don't spoil them. And that's exactly what God does with us. He doesn't spoil us. He doesn't say, yes, I'm sorry, you've got trials. That's terrible. Yeah, we'll just I'll just wish all the trials away. He knows us and he loves us and he recognizes that these trials he will use to mature and perfect us. And he comes alongside us. We ask. And what do we ask for? We ask for wisdom. What... what What might be our default position? Lord, take away this trial. That's what we ask. Lord, take away this bad thing. Take away this problem. Take away this person. Take away this struggle. Take away this debt. Take it away. You're a miracle worker. But no, he doesn't ask us to ask for change primarily. He asks us to ask for wisdom to respond to life's battles and struggles like he wants us to respond with grace. And therefore, to know that James is setting out a theology here, although it's very practical, which says to be a Christian is not to live a trial-free life. Often to be a Christian is to live a life with more trial than if you're not a Christian. But it means that he gives us grace to see these trials maturing and developing us and making us complete as people. So what makes us complete as people isn't necessarily a holiday in Lanzarote, which we might think will make us complete. But in the ordinary commute of life, allowing his sovereign grace to transform, the sheer dullness of the trials that we face so we ask for wisdom what does that involve involves a few things I'll, I'll rush through this it involves asking i think very significantly the right questions when we are faced with trials um, let uh, the te- he says when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing So very often when we face these trials on a daily basis, we say, why, God? Why are you letting me go through this? You said you love me, but no one who loves me would let me go through this. And so often we ask, why? Or we ask, why not them? (laughs) So I'm going through trouble, but it doesn't seem fair that I'm going through trials. Why don't they go through trials? They're far worse than I am. Why aren't they going through trials? That is also the wrong question shouldn't it be for us that we ask the question how rather than why how can i mature through what is happening that's a really tough question to ask and it's not a pious it's not a pious question it's it's a gritty grace question this trial that i'm going through how can god change me through it rather than change my circumstances or other people uh, who i would love if God would change them because they're so miserable and a pain in the neck. So the focus, therefore, is moved from us blaming God for our trials or blaming other people and maybe especially the church and increased possibly even the minister, uh, from that to looking at what life throws to every one of us. And asking, how is God wanting me to be transformed through this trial? Consider, he says, count all joy. Consider it. Think about it. In other words, trials in life, the battles we face every day, often expose our spiritual immaturity. They expose quite often that we aren't dependent on God, that we respond in a sinful and godless way. That there's things that do need rooted out that he wants to root out from our hearts Anger or pride or greed or there may be idols that are That we're clinging on to much more closely than we are clinging on to jesus And sometimes trials just expose that or highlight that and bring it out and he wants us to ask the question What is god teaching me and what is god saying to me through this so trials? can either be An opportunity for spiritual self-analysis. That we look at our lives and say, what is God doing in this? What is God saying and and speaking to me? Or an opportunity for (gasps) self-absorption. Poor me. It's dreadful. God is an awful God. And other people are miserable. And it's their fault that I'm going through this. It's their problems. They need to change. Not me. I'm in the right place. But they need to change. Whereas wisdom asks different questions, doesn't it? So wisdom asks different questions, and wisdom also uh, it trusts through doubt. He speaks a lot in this section about doubt, and he says, "But let him ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. The person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded, man, unstable in all his ways." And that's a difficult section. But faith is taking your doubt to God. Okay, That's probably the difference. Is that faith says, you know, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And we take our doubt to God and we trust him through it. Whereas genuine doubt, which he's speaking of here, is the doubt which doesn't really believe in Jesus after all. And doesn't really believe in his promises. And doesn't believe that good will come uh, from the trials in our own lives. And stems from a deadening relationship. A prayerless relationship. A relationship that doesn't ask. And it doesn't pray. And that has then become subsumed by doubt. So, prayer points us towards God even in our doubt. And that is a different. Uh, reality ask the right questions it, it, it trusts through doubt but also wisdom that god promises to give us i think clearly uh, finishes well uh, the christian life finishes well it, he talks about becoming perfect and complete or mature lacking nothing i think the danger for us and maybe this is more of a uh, challenge for those of us who are longer in the tooth spiritually who have been christians longer The danger is that commute of life The sheer grind of living out the christian life uh, Overwhelms us because for too long. We've just gone on our own We've gone it alone We haven't prayed we haven't asked and we've just survived, but we've grown cold Spiritually uh, we kind of got, you get to that cynical stage where you dismiss the faith that you used to have in your youth and you lower your standards spiritually and you're less committed than you once were because you've allowed this world just to choke your relationship with him. So you have no time to pray. The trials of life and the midlife crisis that I'm going through is too great for God to deal with. And so we become drifting, uh, we're drifters in this commute of life. And that self-serving Christianity is a spiral downwards. And you read a book like James when you're in that condition and you hate it because it makes you feel guilty and it it feels legalistic because you think there's all these things we're supposed to do. And you forget that it's impossible and you forget that he wants to drive you back to himself and it will crush us. And I think many Christians are in danger of not finishing well. And that's a terrible thing. And it's one, as we mature in our faith, we must be aware of. That we don't lower our standards and forget uh, what God promises to do for us. So God, uh, when we ask, we ask for wisdom, which enables us also to finish well. And it provides the last thing about wisdom here is it provides a settled joy. Count it all joy. <laughs> if, if anything is countercultural, that's what it is. Count it all joy when you have a weekend free. Count it all joy when you look at your bank balance and and it's it's full and t- to overflowing. Count it all joy when uh, your partner in life constantly says how gorgeous you are in every facet of your being. Count it all joy when everyone at work just polishes your shoes and thinks you're just God's gift. Count it all joy when you get A pluses in all your exams without doing any work for it. That's the kind of thinking subconsciously sometimes we have, but here he says count it all joy when you face the commute of life. It's not very exciting, is it? It's not very dramatic. But yet it is because he takes these ordinary things and transforms them so that we can become mature and complete as people. Complete. We don't rejoice in the trials themselves. We're not masochists. We don't look for them, but we, we rejoice in what God can take from these miserable trials and in the brokenness of this world and teach us about himself. And teach us about ourselves. And the promise that he is working, as we've seen in the morning, this mission of God. He's working to complete us. And to, to remind us that there is a future that is trial free. There is all these things that we look for. There is an eternity of bucket list spiritually. That is constantly uh, knowing and learning and exploring and understanding the glories of relationship with Him, where there, as we finish this morning's service, with there will be no more tears. That is what in the commute of life eh, we see, is that we ask. That's what He wants from us. That's what He wants from you tomorrow. Whatever busyness you face tomorrow, and whatever gut-wrenching and stomach-turning trials you know you will face tomorrow ask speak to him deal with him and then recognize he gives we ask he gives isn't that great ask of god what does he do he gives generously to all without reproach That's what he does. That's what God gives. That's why this book is the book of grace. Go again to 4, verse 6. He gives more grace. That's the anthem of this book. He gives more grace. You're struggling? Ask for the wisdom of grace and for all that goes with it. Ask for what we're lacking. Ask for the, the ability to take the trials which we would much rather avoid and not have... And face them head on, eyeball to eyeball with them, and enable God to take them and transform us through them, which will be absolutely countercultural to those who see us going through these trials. He's a giving God, that's His nature. God gives. He gives. God gives. That's, his, that's what he is. That's what the cross is about. That's what grace is. It's about a God who gives. You and I struggle powerfully with the concept of a giving God. We think God's miserly. We think God doesn't really want to give. Think about it. We do. We think God doesn't want to give. But he's, he's a giving is his nature. It's the mission of God, is the blessings that He speaks about, and in this broken world, it remains the blessings through trials. He gives generously. That is, He doesn't give miserly. You ask, you don't have wisdom. If I could say, if if I could honestly say, there was one prayer that I have I, I have offered almost every day of my ministry life, it is that God would give me wisdom, and it's His gift because we we don't have that gift naturally the the spiritual wisdom that enables us to be countercultural and uh, grace filled it's outstanding he gives it generously he wants us to have it and he wants us to respond his way and it's it's to all it's not just to the minister it's not to a select few Christians who gives generously to all to all Everyone who asks, we're all equal here. We all need, we all face trials. Some more than others possibly. But he promises to give all. All he asks is that we ask. And without reproach, he says. Without reproach. He doesn't give us scoldingly. You know as parents we sometimes give gifts to our children scoldingly. Kind of. Well, I'm going to give you this, but you don't really deserve it. And I'm not really that happy about giving it to you, but I'm a really good parent anyway, and I'm going to. And there's an element of scolding there, as if in needing, there was guilt. That God doesn't give us scoldingly, He doesn't tell us off, He doesn't say, I told you so. He understands, He knows. that verse, that's what I'm saying, it links so well with this morning. That amazing verse at the beginning of Exodus when it talks about the people who cried out and it just finishes with this word, he knows. He knew. He knew. He knew. God knows. And uh, he says, hang in there. You will blossom because I will use the trials to bring you to maturity. And his maturity is the best maturity there is. And it's what we were created to be. To be mature in him. That's where we will find ultimate pleasure. And that's where we will find pleasure in pleasure. The way he wants us to find it. Not as an end or an idol in itself. And for us the recognition is the best is yet to come. Consider it all joy when you meet, when you meet, and all of us do. And, uh, James wants us to take that great grace and for us not to be in here being uh, hearers of the word only because that's, we're deceiving ourselves. But to be doers, to take it from here into the trials you will face and I will face tomorrow. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we ask and pray that in the trials of life which we will all face tomorrow and face today, may we not blame you tempting though it often is, may we not blame others, but may we see and know that your business is with us, that you transform us. And as we are transformed through these trials and recognize you will mold us through them, that we would find a peace and a joy that will blow us away. Help us, we pray, Lord God. Uh, to recognize that this is not a legalistic uh, council of despair. It is not providing something for us to reach up to in our own strength, but f- causes us to fall on our knees and to ask for help. And may we be a- an asking for help people. And may we ask for help for each other and recognize ourselves as children who cry out to our Father. Amen.